Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a quick and dirty tip about the difference between flesh out and flush out, a meaty middle about last names, and a tidbit about where we get the phrase hat trick. And now on to our quick and dirty tip. Flesh out and flush out are both English expressions, but they mean different things, so don't feel bad if you're not always sure which one to use. When you're developing a project, putting more meat on its bones, so to speak. You're fleshing it out. To flesh out is to expand something or build it up. Here are two examples. Let's flesh out this proposal and make it more meaty. We need an all-day meeting to flesh out these ideas. When you shoo a flock of birds out of hiding, you're flushing them out. Flush out is also a metaphor for revealing things or clearing them out. Here are two examples. The hunters flushed out their prey. Let's flush out that politician's real backers. And that was your quick and dirty tip. Fleshing out is bulking something up. And flushing out is clearing something out or making it visible. That tip was from my little red book, 101 Misused Words You'll Never Confuse Again. I always think of my books by their color, and I don't know why, but that won't help you find them at a bookstore. The title is 101 Misused Words You'll Never Confuse Again. Next, I have a meaty middle by Bonnie Mills. This segment explores last names, otherwise known as family names, surnames, and sometimes even Christian names. We'll mix a little bit of history about the origin of names with some rules about capitalization and other issues. It's hard to say when last names were first used, but it's easy to group many last names into certain categories. For example, we have last names based on location, based on occupation, and based on the name of our father. Names with a location origin are based on a place name or a feature of the land, English names based on location include York, after the city in England, and Hill, based on a topographical feature. Japanese surnames are full of references to locations. Two very common last names, for example, are Tanaka and Yamaguchi. Tanaka literally means dweller in the middle of rice fields. Ta means rice field, and Naka means inn. Yamaguchi translates as mountain entrance. Yama means mountain, and Gucci means mouth. Occupations are the source of many other last names. Think of all the farmers, Fletchers, Fullers, Millers, and Smiths you know. I had to ask Bonnie what a Fletcher and Fuller do, and she said Fletchers make arrows, and Fullers work with cloth. Other last names that are related to occupations include Marshall, Steward, Abbott, and Parsons. Some job-related names have both a masculine and a feminine form. Did you know that the feminine of baker is Baxter? The feminine of brewer is Brewster? 
and the feminine of Weber is Webster. The list of job-related last names is long, but not compared to the list of global last names that originate from son of or daughter of. Here's a small sample. Johnson, Fernandez, O'Connor, McDougall, Fitzgerald, Jonas' daughter, and Bin Laden. Let's look at each of these types of last names and learn some fascinating tidbits. Names ending in son, and sometimes san, s-e-n, clearly translate as son of. We've got the Carlsons, the Robinsons, and the Albertsons, along with the Nielsons, Petersons, and Hansons. Not so obvious are Spanish names ending in the suffix ez, which means son of. Last names ending with the EZ ending are so common, you could almost go through the whole alphabet with them. Alvarez, Benitez, Cortez, Dominguez, Estevez, Fernandez, Gonzalez, Hernandez, Ibanez, Jimenez, and so on. At first, it may seem odd that this suffix means son of when the Spanish word for son is hijo. But it turns out that the EZ is a form of the Latin genitive or possessive case. In English, our apostrophe plus an S is the same grammatical structure. The British Isles have given us many last names related to son of, including Celtic ones starting with O, Mac, Mc, and Fitz. All of these particles mean son of, and we'll have more on particles later. You'll hear last names such as O'Donnell, McIntyre, McDougall, and Fitzgerald. Interestingly, in Irish usage, a space always follows the O, but in anglicized versions, we have an apostrophe and no space. In addition, sometimes these Celtic particles become absorbed into the word, and we end up with the last names like McPherson, with only the M being capitalized. Compared to all the mix and Macs you'll meet, Fitz as the start of a last name is pretty uncommon. One Fitz-related last name is reserved for the illegitimate son of a king, Fitzroy. Britain's Henry VIII, famous for not being able to sire many heirs, especially male ones, did acknowledge an illegitimate son. His name was Henry Fitzroy, Duke of Richmond, who lived from 1519 to 1536. In the list mentioned earlier, you heard the last name Jonas Daughter, which in Icelandic means daughter of Jonas. Icelandic last names are mostly derived from the father's first name. For example, if a man named Regnar had a son and a daughter, their last names would be Regnar son and Regnar daughter, respectively. Almost all Icelandic names originate from the father, but occasionally the mother's name is used. For example, if the mother wishes to end social ties with the father— as a social statement, or simply as a matter of style. Moving to the other side of the world, we come to the Middle East. The word bin in Arabic means son of. Closely related is the Hebrew particle ben, B-E-N, which means son, as found in the name of the airport in Tel Aviv, Ben-Gurion, and in the last name Benjamin, which translates as son of the right hand. Before we move on to some capitalization rules, we'll briefly mention Russian last names. Let's just say they're complicated. Russians have three names, their first name, their middle patronymic name, and their last name. As for Russian last names, they usually have a different ending for males and females. For example, the last name of Russian tennis star Maria Sharapova ends in Ova, 
But the last name of her father, Yuri Sharapov, lacks the A. When we were discussing Celtic last names, you heard the word particle. Dictionary.com defines it in a grammar sense as, quote, a small word of functional or relational use as an article, preposition, or conjunction, whether of a separate form, class, or not, unquote. For our purposes here, that just means it's a doodad that forms part of a last name. We've already talked about Mac and Fitz, for example. Other common particles include D, Vaughn, La, and Van. The first two of these are referred to as nobility particles and often indicate a person has noble origins. You can't always believe a noble-sounding name, however. 19th-century French novelist Honoré de Balzac embellished his name by adding a D-E before it, de Balzac. He's so well-regarded, though, that his name continues to be written that way, even if it's technically inaccurate. As far as capitalizing the various particles, there are many rules, depending on the country of origin, and perhaps depending on the reference book you consult. Here's one easy-to-remember rule from Garner's Modern American Usage. Every lowercase particle gets capitalized at the beginning of a sentence. For example, if you're starting the sentence with the name of Spanish playwright Lope de Vega, which has a lowercase d in de de Vega, the sentence would begin with D-E with the D capitalized. Gardner also states that in Romance languages, such as French, Spanish, and Italian, particles that are prepositions that mean of, from, and at are not capitalized. And he explains that the most common German particle, von, is never capitalized, except when starting a sentence. According to the Chicago Manual of Style, the French particle le, L-E, is always capitalized, as in the name of the Duran Duran singer Simon Le Bon. Garner also says that last names from the Netherlands often contain the particle van, sometimes with deer after. He explains that capitalization rules differ depending on whether the name originates from Dutch or Flemish, and it would be difficult for Americans to tell which one is which. As a result of this potential confusion about how to capitalize foreign names that contain particles originating from various languages, you might like to follow the advice of the Chicago Manual of Style and the American Heritage Guide to Contemporary Usage and Style. They both suggest consulting a biographical dictionary so that you can capitalize all the parts of the name correctly. Or you could just guess. No, just kidding. (laughs) So let's cover one last name-related rule before we go. Many Asian cultures use a different convention than what we use for Western names. In Chinese, for example, the family name comes before the given name. The Chicago Manual of Style recommends that you follow this practice in English contexts with the names of Chinese people, but not with those of people of Chinese origins whose names have been anglicized. You've probably heard of the famous Chinese people Mao Zedong and Chiang Kai-shek. The last names in these examples are Mao, Mao Zedong, and Chang, Chiang Kai-shek. The last names come first. That's the end of that segment, and just for fun to acknowledge the writer's dad instead of her myriad ancestors who may have worked at various mills, let's sign her out as if she were of Icelandic origin instead of British. That segment was written by Bonnie Barton-Daughter, actually Bonnie Mills, who is the author of The Curious Case of the Misplaced Modifier and blogs at sentencesleuth.blogspot.com. 
And now let's learn about the term hat trick. Women's soccer, the World Cup, Carly Lloyd. These phrases have been ubiquitous the past two weeks. It seems like everyone is talking about the amazing final of the Women's World Cup. You know, the final where U.S. player Carly Lloyd made three goals in the first 16 minutes of the game, where she led the U.S. team to a stunning 5-2 victory over Japan. That final. Another phrase we keep hearing recently is hat trick, as in Lloyd hat trick inspires UW World Cup victory. Hat trick hero Lloyd dreams big and wins World Cup. And Carly Lloyd has 372 text messages after hat trick. What is a hat trick, anyway, and why do we call it that? A hat trick refers broadly to any clever maneuver, like a magician pulling a rabbit out of a hat. It refers specifically to three achievements that happen in a row. Three consecutive goals in soccer, for example, or three consecutive runs in baseball. This three-in-a-row usage originated with cricket. In that game, a hat trick refers to three wickets taken by a bowler in three consecutive balls. Apparently, a bowler who achieved this feat was traditionally awarded with a hat, and thus the term hat trick was born. The term remained a Britishism for much of this century, starting to appear regularly in U.S. English only in the 1970s. It's probably no coincidence that the 1970s are when soccer first started to get big in the United States. With Carly Lloyd's recent hat trick, we can expect it to only get bigger. So that's your tidbit for today. A hat trick is any three achievements that happen in a row, such as three goals in a soccer game. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find transcripts of each segment of this podcast at quickanddirtytips.com. Also, I've been more active on Pinterest lately, and we just created a board to feature lesson plans that teachers have made to go with the Grammar Girl podcast books and website. My username there is Real Grammar Girl, and that's where you can find the lesson plan board. Message me or use the hashtag Grammar Girl Lesson Plans, and we'll include your pan on our board. Also, please do go to podsurvey.com grammar and take the short survey. That's all. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Mignon. If you want to do more to hone your communication skills, then check out Think Fast, Talk Smart, produced by the Stanford Graduate School of Business and hosted by my friend and Stanford lecturer, Matt Abrahams. You may remember Matt from his interview on the show back in September when he shared his top tips for becoming a better writer and speaker. Think Fast, Talk Smart is his Webby award-winning podcast, which has been downloaded 41 million times and has been the number one career podcast in more than 95 countries, so you know it's worth your time. Whether you're making a wedding toast or presenting at work, strong speaking skills are critical to success in business and in life, which is why Matt sits down with experts every week to talk about the best tips to unlock your communication potential. Hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety speechwriter and best-selling author Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. So what are you waiting for? Listen to Think Fast, Talk Smart 
every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. And tell Matt I said hi.